One of the Maritime's most popular ghost stories is the tale of a cursed, eternally burning ghost ship haunting the waters off of the northern coast of New Brunswick. This ghost story is an extremely popular tale in New Brunswick even today, and I've gotten far more requests to do an episode examining what is and is not real about that fire ship than any other topic. So, to celebrate the second birthday of the Backyard History Podcast by popular demand, here is the true story of the ghostly fire ship of the Bay de Chaleur. You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes. With your host and author, Andrew McLean. Ghost stories are, of course, something of a specialty of ours right here in the Maritimes. This one is unusual, though, because over the years, hundreds, no, thousands of people have claimed to have actually seen this mysterious bright lights way out on the waters of the Bay de Chaleur and on the Northumberland Strait that comes from this so-called ghost ship. So surely that means that there's something out there, right? In the summer of 1905, William F. Ganong arrived in the Bay de Chaleur to solve the mystery of the fire ship. He had been born and bred to be the heir of the famous Ganong Chocolate Making Company, but he had always been more interested in studying plants, camping out in the woods, and researching history than building a sweet empire. Not following in his family's footsteps of building a chocolate empire actually worked out really well for him. By the time he arrived in the Bay de Chaleur to investigate the ghost ship, at the age of only 41 years old, he was already not only a professor at Harvard University, but was regarded as the finest naturalist and historian New Brunswick ever had produced. This reputation, in my opinion, still holds up even today. Ganong would later publish his findings into his investigation into this mysterious fire ship in the scientific journal called Bulletin of the Natural History Society, in which he wrote, Until a short time ago, I regarded the fire ship as pure fiction, with no basis other than the proneness of humanity to see wonders where they are expected, or where others say they exist. But as a result of two visits to the Bay de Chaleur, during which I questioned many residents on the subject, I have had to change my opinion. And I now believe that there is really some natural phenomenon in that region which manifests itself in such a way to be imaginable as a vessel on fire. William F. Ganong would probably be offended at me kind of portraying him as a bit of a ghost hunter here, though. He didn't believe in ghosts, calling them weird fantasies, which are preferred to truth even by grown-up persons. Yet there he was up in the Bay de Chaleur, investigating a ghost story about an ancient sailing ship that could be seen, always on fire, burning eternally, in full sail, out on the waters of the Bay de Chaleur. He was disturbed that he heard reports from countless people claiming to have actually seen this particular ghost ship. In whose word I have absolute confidence. Here is that old ghost story, told to you just like how I heard it back when I was a kid up on New Brunswick's North Shore, right next to the Bay de Chaleur. 
More than 500 years ago, back in the very earliest days of Europeans coming to North America, a fleet of three ships left Portugal, heading towards a newfound land. The leader of the Portuguese fleet was Gaspar Corteiriel, a daring explorer from a wealthy family who was on a quest to discover the fabled Northwest Passage to China and India. Gaspar Corteiriel embarked on a treacherous journey with his three ships venturing further and further across the Atlantic Ocean into the unknown, encountering dense fog, howling winds, and frigid waters. As days turned into weeks, Fear and uncertainty gripped the crew. They became disoriented in the relentless mist and their supplies dwindled. After what must have felt like an eternity in the vastness of the Atlantic Ocean, they spotted land. This was a new and unfamiliar land filled with fresh water, trees, and plentiful fish. Then they encountered people. The first meeting with the mysterious people who called this land home actually went quite well. The local people were quite interested in goods the strange visitors had and wanted to trade. This was good news for Gaspar Corteriel. Since he had sailed across the Atlantic to this land he was sure was either China or India precisely to trade for these people's fine silks and expensive spices. But it turned out that these people did not have the goods to trade that Gaspar had anticipated. Where were all the expensive Indian spices? Where were all of the fine Chinese silks that commanded such large sums of money in European markets? The Portuguese began to realize that perhaps they were not in Asia after all. Furious at this failure to find the Northwest Passage to India, Gaspar Corteriel decided he was not going to sell goods to the indigenous people, rather he was going to sell the indigenous people. He kidnapped dozens of people to be sold as slaves back in Portugal and began to prepare to set sail for home. As Gaspar Corteriel's ship pulled up anchor, an indigenous military force appeared, determined to free their friends and family members and exact revenge. As the Portuguese set their sails, the war canoes drew closer. Two of the Portuguese ships escaped, but the canoes caught up to Gaspar Corteiro's flagship. A vicious battle broke out on the decks of the ship, and amidst the chaotic fighting, the ship caught fire, quickly spiraling out of control into a raging inferno. As the sailors jumped from the flaming ship to their deaths in the frigid waters below, they vowed to haunt these waters for a thousand years. Ever since, still to this day, 500 years later, countless people throughout the Bay de Chalar and the Northumberland Strait have seen that Portuguese ship belonging to Gaspar Corteiriel, still engulfed in flames, still sailing those waters. William F. Ganong didn't believe in ghosts, but... Before departing Harvard for the Bay de Chaleur, he examined the history behind the story we just heard. And he was forced to admit that it was something with a fact basis. Gaspar Corte Ariel was in fact a real person. 
and that ghost story included several historical truths. In the year 1500, only eight years after Christopher Columbus arrived off the shores of North America, and only two years after Cabot first set foot in Newfoundland, Gaspar Corte Riel set sail to claim some of that new found land for his country of Portugal. He did in fact kidnap 57 indigenous people who were indeed brought back to Portugal and sold as slaves. However, any kind of Portuguese connection with the Bay de Chaleur is distinctly less clear. Going by the descriptions the Portuguese left behind of the clothes worn by the people they kidnapped, victims were likely Inuit from Labrador and Biotic from Newfoundland. In fact, there really isn't any evidence that Gaspar Corte Riel made it as far as New Brunswick after all, let alone to its most northern tip. Most of his time over here was spent in Newfoundland. If his fleet crossed to the mainland, it landed in Cape Breton. The three ships split up to explore, and he and his ship were never seen again. Anything beyond that simply has no historical evidence backing it up. If you'd like to hear more about the Portuguese in Atlantic Canada, you should check out the Backyard History podcast episode called The Lost Colony. But for today's story, that's the end of Gaspar Corte Riel, because William F. Ganong firmly ruled out any Portuguese connection with this mysterious light that was shining in the bay. In his research, Ganong discovered that a distinctly modern author named Eliza Chase from Philadelphia had simply made up that ghost story only a few years earlier in a book she wrote called Quest of the Quaint. Eliza Chase thought that she had a recipe on her hands for a bestseller. All she had to do was combine one part of the real tale of a mysterious light on the Bay de Chaleur with one part of a real mysterious disappearance of an early explorer, stir in a fictional tale of a rightful indigenous vengeance on a people who did them wrong, and then bake it together into a scary ghost story that she pretended was a real story, and it was sure to come out as a hit book. And she was right. Her book became a bestseller in both America and Canada, and the story she invented became the most popular version of the explanation for the mysterious lights in the bay, even today. Digging deeper, though, Ganong found that wasn't the only ghost story circulating about what might have been the cause of the mysterious lights on the Bay de Chaleur. He sighed at all the spectral stories to explain the curious lights writing. These imaginative writers who have visited the Bay de Chaleur have seized upon the story of the fireship as a rare treasure, and adding to the wildest local tales sundry fanciful imaginings of their own, with embellishments of banshees and pirates or picturesque historical personages, which are preferred to truth. The important thing for William F. Ganong when he made his trip up there, though, is that there was simply a very mysterious, real light floating around in the Bay de Chaleur. Ghost story or not, he wanted to get to the bottom of it. When he arrived, he visited the towns along that bay, quickly discovering that... The great majority of residents in the region say that they have seen it at one time or another. He set about interviewing people that summer, carefully vetting the witnesses and dismissing the less believable ones. Of course, I have sifted out all testimony to the best of my ability, eliminating all exaggerations and embellishments, whether these be due to the habit of all humanity to make a story as big and as good as possible 
or to the common tendency to gull an impressionable stranger. As he heard more and more stories, he found that they were frustratingly inconsistent. Captain Turner of Riverside, Albert County, a clear-headed sea captain, told me, in answer to my mention of the fireship as a freak of the imagination, that he himself had seen it and hence knew it to exist. I was told by a lady in whose word I have absolute confidence that her attention was attracted one night to a light off Caracat, which looked so much like a vessel of fire that she supposed it to be one of her husband's schooners and called him in alarm, only to find it was the fire ship. Mr. James Harper, a prominent resident of Misku, told me he had seen it in the winter on the ice. It kept rising and falling, dying down to very small, scarcely visible flame then rising slowly into a column looking 30 feet high. Mr. Robert Wilson of Misku, who sails much on Bay Shalora, tells me he has seen the fire ship, or as he calls it, the burning ship, several times. On a very dark night, the light appeared ahead, and finally he came near, passed within a hundred yards to windward of it, so that he saw with perfect clearness. It was somewhat the shape of a half moon, resting on the water, flat side down, or like a vessel on the water, with a bowsprit but no masts, all glowing like hot coal. He has seen it other times. Sometimes it looks like a ship, sometimes not, and sometimes it vanished while he was watching it. Usually it is dancing or vibrating. Mr. McConnell, keeper of the light at Miskugali, tells me that he has seen the fire ship about two miles away, but it did not look to him like a ship, but more like a big bonfire. Mr. Andrew Wilson has also seen it, when it resembled a whaleboat, not a ship. Mr. Jas Bruno and Mr. Ed Vibert, both of whom sail much on the bay, tell me that they have never seen it and do not believe in its existence. <sighs> so much for local testimony. William Afganong wrote in his reports, before packing up and heading back to Harvard University, having not only failed to solve the mystery, but also having grown increasingly annoyed by it. Back when he was in Harvard though, when he complained to one of his colleagues, Dr. J. Orne Green, who was an extremely respected medical professor about the unhelpful witness accounts much to his astonishment, Dr. Green revealed that he, too, had once seen a curious light up on the Bay de Chaleur. Ganong and Dr. Green resolved to get to the bottom of this once and for all. They decided to go through those witness accounts that Ganong had collected again, this time with a more rigorous scientific approach. They noticed that most of the witnesses simply saw a strange light, not necessarily a ship, and only became convinced it was the ghost ship after discussing it with their friends and their neighbors. Grouping together all the evidence, it seems plain. First, that a physical light is frequently seen over the waters of Bay Shalor and vicinity. Second, that it occurs all seasons, or at least in winter as well as summer. Third, it is usually preceded by a storm. Fourth, that its usual form is roughly hemispherical, with the flat side to the water, and that at times it simply glows without much change of form, 
but that at other times it rises into slender moving columns, giving rise to the appearance capable of interpretation as the flaming rigging of a ship, vibrating and dancing movements increasing the illusion. Fifth, its origin is probably electrical and is likely a phase of the phenomenon known to sailors as St. Elmo's fire. St. Elmo's fire is not actually a fire at all. It's more like lightning or the Northern Lights. It's a bright, continuous electrical spark. You know those glowing bright blue or purple electrical plasma balls you might see at a scientific exhibition? The ones where if you touch them, it makes your hair go crazy and stand up on end? I mean, that's not a perfect comparison, but that's kind of the closest thing I can come up with. Normally, St. Elmo's fire can appear at the top of high objects at a time when the air is electrically charged, like when there is a thunderstorm. These two Harvard professors concluded that St. Elmo's fire was most likely the cause of those mysterious lights in the Bay de Chaleur. Their exciting breakthrough in solving the strange mystery was widely hailed by academics. They were saluted as scientific heroes for solving the question which had bewildered so many people for so long. It was an exciting breakthrough for science at a time when belief in ghosts and spirits was at an all-time high. However, despite the congratulations he was receiving, the extraordinarily rigorous William F. Ganong wasn't quite satisfied. He wondered if he'd been a bit premature in announcing his findings. After all, the mark of a good scientist is to get his information peer-reviewed, and he'd failed to do so. In order to double-check his findings, he began to privately send letters to scientists across Europe and North America, explaining. I made efforts to ascertain if any such phenomenon is known anywhere elsewhere in the world. The following January, William F. Ganong traveled by train to St. John to deliver a major speech announcing his findings about the strange lights on the Bay de Chaleur to the prestigious Royal Natural History Society of New Brunswick. His announcement that the fire ship was actually St. Elmo's fire caused a sensation, with Ganong being lavish with praise about his breakthrough. However, even in his moment of triumph, as his esteemed colleagues congratulated him for solving the centuries-old mystery, Ganong still had doubts. When he received responses from those letters he sent out to his fellow scientists all over the world, he was alarmed to discover that there had been no record of a similar phenomenon and no development of St. Elmo's fire so great that it could be mistaken for a burning ship anywhere in the world. That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.